Hello and welcome to Changing World. My name is Anthony Smith and today I'm very pleased to have a new guest with me by the name of Marilyn Hughes. Now Marilyn Hughes founded the Out of Body Travel Foundation in 2003 with a mission to reduce spiritual and physical hunger worldwide. When she was 22 years old she had her first out-of-body experience which happened to her completely unexpectedly. This started a journey of thousands of out-of-body travel and mystical experiences. During her life, she has written around 100 books and produced 18 CDs on the subject of out-of-body travel. Marilyn was featured in a documentary film with the title The Road to Armageddon and has spoken at many conferences around the world. She has been a devout Catholic for many years and in addition was ordained as a Christian minister. Marilyn also holds an honorary doctorate in divinity and metaphysics. So welcome Marilyn, uh, thank you very much for, for being with us today. You're welcome, thanks for having me. Not at all, it's good to, good to hear from you. So, um, you as well. Thank you. Um, well, I, I'd like to um, just ask you, as a, as, just as a starting question, uh, for the benefit of everyone listening, um, could you give us the, a detailed account of what you experienced at, age, uh, at the age of 22 and how that experience has completely transformed your life? Well, it started uh, pretty simply, actually, with uh, you know a single out-of-body experience. I was um, I was in that twilight period between sleep and awake, and um, all of a sudden, I tried to roll over and get out of bed, and I sure did. I um, <laughs> I um, rolled out and. Um, I was moving my arms and what I realized was my arm wasn't moving my it wasn't my body that was moving as I was rolling it was this uh, light body so I when I moved my arms I would see my uh, a light arm come up rather than my uh, physical arm and so then when I rolled over uh, my light body came out of the physical body and it um, uh, that's when I, you know, had my first out-of-body experience in my adult life, and um, so I was, you know, I, I remember floating up to the ceiling and seeing my body down below as kind of a gray lump of something, flesh or whatever. And um, actually, the first time I was pretty, ex pretty, pretty fearful. You know, I was pretty afraid of what was going on because um, when that happens, you automatically wonder, am I dying or what's going on here? You know. <laughs> And um, so I had that experience. Um, it was very short. But then, uh, you know, I uh, started having them, you know, every, uh, every few weeks or so I would have something along those lines. And I started journaling about them. And with each out-of-body experience, I would be taken to a... Uh, another level so with each experience I would be taught something else so uh, you know the next few experiences I would be learning about moving around in a spiritual body versus uh, a physical body I would learn about 
how to see and hear from, you know, because all of this is different. It's from your consciousness rather than from, you know, physical movement. And so, um, and then also learning how to permeate substances, like how to move through a window or a wall to eventually move to traveling the overlapping astral realm outside. Um, and that was just the beginning, literally just the beginning, because, uh, you know, uh, now 32 years later, um, you know, I've traveled an infinite number of realms and, and uh, so many places to discover in the out-of-body experiences uh, that can be had. But for that period of time when I was 22, it was uh, kind of like an awakening period. And so what it did and how it changed my life forever was it made me very conscious of uh, my, my calling in life, my mission, my vocation. And, um, and you know, from the very beginning, I was being instructed very specifically as to how to proceed forward and um, to um, move to the next phase of the out-of-body experience uh, with, with, each, with each encounter. And uh, it's been that way ever since. And it, it accelerates even more after a few years. You, you have them more frequently, and then it accelerates again. And so then you start having them, um, you know, as a matter of due course, almost like a regular part of your day. You know, almost every day you might have them at that point, which I do now. And... Um, they become a huge, um, um, you know, they become a huge part of helping a person and a soul to discern uh, what is best for them, or how to view things, or how to see things through the eyes of God versus just our own limited eyes. Um, we also, you know, one of the, one of the big reasons that this becomes, you know, life changing forever kind of thing when it starts up, when you have the out-of-body experiences, you enter into what, um, you know, I call the God mind and you experience things that you could not understand or experience without it. So for instance, you experience the love of God, uh, which is so profound and so, beyond the scope of human understanding that it's something that you um, are transformed by but you are also when you're entering into the god mind you are also experiencing this status while you're within it while you are um, within it where you have this uh, temporary understanding of a lot of mysteries so it's like all things that didn't make sense to you before it just makes sense to you now um, it's like um, you're experiencing the mystery behind some of the things that maybe were a little bit harder to understand in terms of existence um, so there's a, a so when you when you that you know in terms of the age of 22 that has a lot to do with why it became so totally life-changing because 
when you're talking about out-of-body experiences, you're really looking at entering into the love and the knowledge of God. Um, and that changes us because it's uh, so far beyond anything that we um, can think or feel or, you know, even emote, you know, because you, we definitely do learn from these experiences how God loves, which is so much different than we do. Um, and we also learn um, these intricate machinations of the universe that, you know, priorly didn't make sense to us. And now all of a sudden we're being drawn into the mystery of that, so to speak. Right. Well, that's that's quite fascinating um, because obviously these things, to most people, they've never experienced it. So it's hard for them um, to to sometimes relate to to um, to these experiences. So, I mean, considering a lot of people listening may not have come across uh, this phenomena, uh, which you've experienced yourself and written about. Could, do you think you could try and explain some of these concepts for people who, who may, you know, may really know almost nothing about it, but who are maybe open to, to the possibility of it? Well, sure. The, um, you know, the, the experiences when they happen start um, pretty, usually pretty um, similarly. And so um, a person will begin to feel what's, what's called the vibrational state. Um, and the vibrational state is when all of a sudden you feel like this internal vibration that's just so high frequency uh, beyond anything you could imagine. Physically, it doesn't make sense unless you understand it from this <laughs> perspective. But, it, you know, sometimes people end, end up in these experiences spontaneously and they don't really know what's going on. Um, if they have never studied this, but it's a common uh, thing that people report, the vibrational state. And the reason you feel that vibration is because what's happening is um, you are detaching from your physical body to your spiritual body, and your spiritual body has um, an infinitely higher vibration with you know particularly than the re than your physical body does and so you're literally like uh, uh, feeling the vibrations of your soul a lot of times too people will experience jet engine noises or just really loud noises around them again this relates back to the fact that you are now touching into the astral plane and it's a different vibrational sphere, so it sounds different. You'll also often hear just random voices in the, in the ether. And those voices are the thoughts of humankind. And so you'll hear all these things because, again, it's the astral realm. And this is where a lot of the thoughts of humankind will kind of just linger. So you're going to be hearing that, too. And then what happens often is um, someone either tries to roll over or if they're aware of what's going on, they might try to will themselves out. Someone might try to step out. Um, some people will, uh, you know, actually be taken out of their body. 
by um, either seen or unseen forces, you know, in terms of angelic assistance. And um, then they will be taken out of their body. So that's your basic out-of-body experience. um, And that's where it would begin, but certainly not where it would end. Right. Okay. Well, I I hope that's um, sort of helped to explain uh, for people who you know, obviously are not familiar um, with this um, particular subject. Um, And then I thought what might be a good um, topic for you to to speak a bit about is the subject of remote viewing um, and clairvoyance. And those two are sort of kind of connected, obviously. Um, Could you share with us a little bit about those two topics well, sure. The um, you know I was trained in remote viewing, and have also done a lot of research on remote viewing. Um, clairvoyance and remote viewing are more similar to one another than they are to out of body travel. Um, but um, what's interesting about remote viewing, and and we can lead back into this with out of body travel in just a bit here, is that you know in the uh, Uh, Mid to late 1950s, Russell Targ was uh, given the directive to work on this new process, which eventually came to be called remote viewing, uh, within the United States government. And um, from what I understand, I know other governments are utilizing these techniques as well. Currently, I'm not sure, uh, you know, if they started at the same time. I know Russell Targ is... Uh, him and Pat Price and Ingo Swan, Joe McMoneagle, these these are the ones who really uh, built the program and started it out here in the U.S., and I'm pretty sure they're considered the father of remote viewing, the fathers, and um, uh, that, um, that uh, the practice may have spread to other countries because of the works that they did, but I am not sure of that. There may have been programs in the other countries that I'm unaware of. But um, so they started out and they actually had a chamber that they used in the 50s that they made the walls so thick with uh, some kind of, uh, it was like an electronically protected room so that nothing could penetrate it from the outside world. And they would put some of their viewers inside that box and then give them targets from the outside the way that a target would be given is um back at that time i'm not sure how they did it but now they do it where you will receive a series of numbers which represents the target you're not given any information about that target um and then the uh remote viewer would go through this uh, this process and this process involves Um, several phases of drawings, um, impressions, uh, writing down details, um, general sketches, something called the matrix, um, which is another way to further uh, codify and and detail what they're seeing, Um, and uh, some other other parts of it, which... um, You know, we don't need to belabor, but there's several parts. It's a very detailed process, actually. I think people would be surprised at the the actual protocol. But um, what they found was that the uh, 
governments were finding that these experiments into clairvoyance were providing excellent intelligence. There's some really, really fascinating stories that were uh, really uh, bullseye on in terms of some of the remote viewers. Uh, there, there were several remote viewers throughout the last 50 or so years, 70 or so years, who were considered, you know, the best among the best. Joe McMonigle was one of them. Pat Price was one of them, Ingo Swan. And there were some women, too, who um, became uh, really, really uh, excellent remote viewers. And literally some of the time they were able to, without any knowledge whatsoever, find a downed airplane anywhere in the world and literally find the uh, coordinates and, you know, be, be able to send out a search party and find them exactly where they found them. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, things like this and figuring out where people were being held. Um, there's other ways to find, um, you know, intelligence as well. Um, we had a very unique remote viewer who, by the name of Pat Price, he was in fact the first one, who was so, so skilled and gifted at this that he could literally break through the barrier psychically of any, any place, any facility, no, no matter how top secret, and literally from any room in the world, and he could read the names off the files and tell you what was written on the desk um, with, um, with, you know, inside the building um he was so accurate that he was accurate literally to that kind of detail unfortunately he passed away fairly early on uh there is some you know there's some speculation that he was taken out by the kgb because he was such a threat because of his gift being so great um but i guess we'll never know but <laughs> Uh, but yes, these um, the remote viewing program was discontinued in the United States uh, at some point at in the late late 90s or so. But many of the government remote viewers have gone out and they founded their own companies and they do this as private consulting and they do it for um, companies and for other types of things. But they also do you know government contracts as well. So, um, you know, remote viewing is actively pursued. We know it's done very uh, to a very high level in China, to a very high level in Russia. It's utilized in world governments around the world, and it's considered to often be more reliable than certain types of intelligence. One of the things they do like to do, however, is to have two or three different intelligence sources backing up a claim, if at all possible, just for, you know, the that's the way they try to validate a potential target before they go after it in terms of, you know, sometimes, a lot of times with remote viewers, it's finding uh, downed airplanes, downed shoppers, or where are our men, you know. And so they'll try to do that. But I know that there have been in instances where they have gone literally on the advice of one single remote viewer who pinpointed on a 
globe of the world exactly where this plane went down and they were absolutely right on it so it's been verified by you know not just the US government but world governments I'm sure I'm sure there's some use of it as well in the UK I, would you know about that Anthony um, well you know t to be honest with you I think I think they keep it under wraps and <laughs> Okay. I wouldn't know myself, no, unfortunately. Okay. But, I, I, you know, it, it's true what you said. I can imagine a lot of governments around the world, uh, you know, do investigate these things, of course. Right. And one thing, you know, clairvoyance and remote viewing, um, they're very similar. It's just that remote viewing is an actual protocol which utilizes psychic gifts, clairvoyance. Um, clairvoyance is something that people can have uh, you know, spontaneously, it doesn't necessarily have to be within that protocol. So just so people understand that, it's a very similar thing. Another thing that the um, experiments of Russell Targ and crew, him and Hal Putoff, and um, there were a lot of people involved in these things, but they found um, that by utilizing their protocol that there is basically an underlying current of intuitive ability, which, you know, intuitive slash psychic ability that most people can touch into to some degree. We know that there are some people who are just more gifted in that way by nature, but they have found, and this is one of the interesting things that they have brought out is that it is an inherent human ability to be able to touch into um, uh, what would have in the past would have been considered psychic. And one of the things they wrote about this and have talked about regarding this is that the, the, um, that what this indicates is that there is this vast unconscious reservoir of knowledge that we all share in because what they would see with you know someone being able to pinpoint um and not only just one person but many people at the same time and they've also done the experiments of teaching non-military users um who and they tried training those who have known psychic gifts versus those who have no known psychic gifts and they find that they can train both and the the difference in the outcome is not usually that large and in with the exception you know of you know the presence of a pat price or an ingo swan joe mcmoneagle or um uh, i just don't unfortunately remember the names of these women that were involved in the program but they had a couple of women who were really really accurate so with the exception of the people who are just unusually gifted, there can be a similar result in terms of accuracy through using the remote viewing protocol that you can actually bring out this um, intuitive latency, so to speak, within um, almost anyone. And that's why in the United States, um, it's now... Uh, it's now pretty common. People, if they want to, can go take classes and learn how to do remote viewing because it has a lot of applications, not just military. It 
people are using it for their own private lives. And of course, in criminal investigations, it can be used for a lot of different reasons. Exactly. Well, you, you've certainly given a very thorough um, account of that. Um, and, um, you know, I, I really think it's interesting that uh, what, you know, what some people might just say is, is just mumbo jumbo. Um, is actually has actually been used by government agencies around the world. So um, it's not as though we're talking about something which is, you know, just considered to be uh, not worth not worth dealing with. It, it's it's a real phenomenon um, that has been proven to get results, hasn't it? Oh, yes. And, you know, even one of our um, Apollo astronauts who recently passed a few years ago, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, was very much involved in the remote viewing uh, phenomenon and very much involved, ironically, in the psychic research that was going on in the late 60s and early 70s in both the United States and um, Russia at that time, where at that time there was some... Uh, uh, they were working together and, you know, we were sending some people over there, they were sending some people back and we would do a lot of different experiments on the concept of psychic gifts. That was a big time in, in these types of things. And so, yes, our, one of our astronauts uh, wrote a bunch of books about these subjects as well because he um, not, was not only involved in those things when he returned from space, but what made him more interested in it was the experiences he had while he was in space. And those experiences included where he, um, he fell into, and he said that the other astronauts kind of experienced this too. And, you know, different astronauts speak about what, what they feel comfortable with. But Dr. Edgar Mitchell wrote about this in detail, how he fell into this state, which he later understood to be the samadhi or the nirvana of the Hindus and the Buddhists and the ecstasy of the Christians, which um, really confounded him because somehow when he was out in space, there was something different molecularly that brought the astronauts into this like cosmic consciousness state. They all felt it, it was different. And that's what drew him into that interest when he returned from space. Right. That's another fascinating um, subject. And, um, you know, I've always felt that uh, the astronauts knew a lot more than what they let on to the public, um, especially uh, Apollo 11, uh, Neil Armstrong and uh, Buzz Aldrin. Um, and in fact, Buzz Aldrin has done many interviews where he's kind of, um, you know, shown that that there is more to things than uh, than what we're what we're aware and what we're told generally. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I, I do imagine that that's the case. And I know that there are a lot of theories about that and we could go and we could go in that direction but, I, uh, but probably uh but you know there were a lot of things that they experienced that they had to uh keep private to themselves there were a lot of you know pictures of the moon that had to be 
uh, kept as classified with NASA. Yeah, yeah. And so they had to, they had to, they had certain restrictions on what they were allowed to talk about and what they weren't allowed to talk about. And that's true. Yeah, I I, I certainly, um, I I certainly believe that's true. Um, And, um, you know, there's, it's such a big subject. I mean, uh, that's a whole nother subject in itself, that one. (laughs) Yeah. about what's going on out there which we you know we 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 don't we can only speculate can't we 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 don't know all that's going on out there uh by well any means. we we can we can, maybe you and i can only speculate but we, we we do have people who can do more than speculate because they have more information which is fascinating isn't it yeah yeah i mean um as I say, that's another subject in itself. All of that, and right, um, yes. there's so much on the internet, on on YouTube. Um, right. People have done interviews, haven't they? And and you know, talked about stuff that is just mind blowing, really. Right. Yes. Yeah. But Dr. Edgar Mitchell was also very involved with the remote viewing programs, right. and along along with those other psychic programs and he was also very interested in what's called quantum hologram theory mm-hmm. um, which was also related to the experiences he had in space but um, anybody can look this up if they're interested but there was a shift about 10 20 years ago in you know astrophysics where they're moving towards what's called a quantum hologram theory. Dr. Edgar Mitchell actually has some videos where he's explaining what that is. You can look those up on YouTube, or um, I think there might even be one on Amazon Prime. Uh, but you can check out what he was saying about it. You know, uh, you know, before he died, which is very, very interesting because of the fact that he had been out to space. And then he was also contributing and participating in a lot of the science that was moving forward for the rest of his life. Right. Well, that's another thing that uh, people might want to check into. Um, What we'll do is we'll put a few links down below the uh, the video and then people can click on those and um, have a look at some other material uh, if they want to follow up. now, I was going to ask you a few things. Um, you say that um, you've been shown a series of potential outcomes for our world. Um, would you like to just go into a bit of detail about that? Well, it's interesting because in the early 90s, I started having um, what would be kind of prophetic type experiences about a time frame that we are entering upon right now. Um, And many of these experiences showed me uh, like this line of demarcation between, you know, what we know as civilization today and some great change that was going to take place. I was shown um, that there were several possible ways that these things could go down. Obviously, the first one would be that everything would stay the same. But um, I was shown as well uh, the aftermath of a huge nuclear war. I was then also shown the aftermath of a huge asteroid strike. And, um, And I was also shown 
the aftermath of a series of, you know, natural disasters that possibly could be related to, you know, some shifting in the in the earth, you know, whether yeah, it's earthquakes, yeah. volcanoes, and yeah. things like that. Go ahead. That's right. Um, um, now, one of my guests, previous guests, um, uh, by the name of Terry Moore, he's done a lot of research into this uh, pole shift idea. Yes. Which you, you, of course, you know about. Um, and he's saying that the it, it won't just, apparently it won't just flip in, in a few seconds or a few days. It will take quite a while. And it, it's the, the magnetic pole is, all, is already moving, that it's being tracked, that it is moving. Um, but the question is how far it's going to move and, you know, what, what the consequences are. But he's saying a lot of um, the problems with the weather, which I know over in America you've had things like, um, well, hurricanes, of course, but you've, had, you've also had a lot of snow in places in America, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so he's saying that some of these weather events could be connected with the, the movement of the pole. Um, and of course, that's you know the environmental issues as well. The fact that some of the, a lot of the ice caps are melting. A lot of the ice is melting there, um, as the poles are are moving. Obviously, if the pole is moving, then if it, w the area that was was the part of the pole, if it's not, if it's no longer part of the pole, then that that area is going to melt that part of the um, the Arctic or the Antarctic could melt. So his theory is that, um, you know, there's a lot of people going around saying that man is the cause of all of these things. But what he's saying is that there's also the actual um, things beyond our control, um, that uh, some of these things are, in fact, beyond our control. So I don't know, what, what would your view be on, on, uh, on that? Well, that's very interesting what he's saying, and you know, it it um, it's you know it's been discovered you know below Antarctica that there was some type of civilization in the northern parts of it that may have been a tropical climate at some time, you know. So what we what does that tell us? It tells us that these kinds of things may have occurred before yeah, yeah. and that it may be part of the way that the earth renews itself and we also know we've seen different types of maps and where the land masses end and where they are now and yeah, yeah. so it is always possible that the pole shift could create some redistribution of the land masses and um, that some places that were hot could be cold and vice versa and in between. And I think that that very well could be a part of the natural, um, you know, the natural process of, of planets in that regard. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, obviously these things are, are happening on a, a gigantic scale out in the universe, aren't they? And um, yes. We're, we're so fortunate on this planet to have everything in equilibrium, the right temperature, enough water and enough sunlight to sustain life. Um, this is the thing. And, um, you know, I, I mean, when you think how huge, how vast the universe is, it's it's um, you know, there must be so many planets out there which are capable of supporting life, mustn't there? 
Well, I think that that's kind of the uh, argument for it, for sure. And I, I definitely agree that there probably are life, life-containing planets out there. But we also have the question, which is something that was posed to me through my out-of-body experiences, you know, uh, that there could be other kinds of life that would require different um, different elements than we might to stay alive. Okay. And we have to keep that yeah. in mind as well so mm. that we can have different kinds of uh, living planets. Yeah. But, you know, another thing that we often forget when we're talking about, like, what's happening to the Earth right now is things like um, uh, I was I was on another show talking with um, Marshall Masters. And right. he's a scientist who talks about um, the... Uh, 36,000 year incoming of this planet X, which is a, it's a planet in our solar system that goes pretty far out and it has an elliptical rotation around the sun, but it's, it's uh, orbit is so long that it takes 36,000 years to make it all the way around. So it's coming around for its um, elliptical rotation, according to masters. And there is a pull from that planet. Um, and so, you know, ironically, he's saying that the pole shift is being caused a great deal by the, by the uh, pull of planet X as it's moving by our planet. Yeah, I have come across this type of theory. And um, there was uh, an author who, who actually did a lot of research into this. And his, his name is Zechariah Sitchin. Yes. You know that yeah. one. Um, yes. And he wrote a series of books, actually. And um, one of the, the books which I have, um, it talks about Planet X. And it also talks about the fact that there were other civilizations on other planets in the solar system, including Mars. Right. Um, and that um, if this planet does... It, like you say, if it's on a, a really far out orbit and it just comes in once every 36,000 years, you said, um, that um, they, they could be, the theory is that there was a civilization actually on that planet. Right. Um, have you heard this? Yes, because I've read, a, yeah. I read the entire uh, series by Zechariah Sitchin, very big fan of Mr. Sitchin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he's he's done such a lot of research. I know uh, he he actually researched the Sumerian culture, didn't he? Right. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and he, he found um, all sorts of unusual artifacts um, from the Sumerians, and some of them were um, symbols. Uh, which uh, he um, he said there were cylinder seals, which were the um, the kind of the artwork on a, a cylinder which would contain either certain manuscripts or or certain treasures inside the the cylinder, and um, a few of the things were showed apparently these uh, spaceships or something. You know, it it only looked like a spaceship, and and yet this yeah. was, this was, um, you know, some kind of artwork which was drawn by the Sumerians, many many thousands of years B, uh, thousands of years BC. Right. Yes. 
So um, you know, it's 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 just um, amazing that uh, these things can happen. And then, of course, you have the uh, the Nazca lines in Peru, which um, the Nazca lines are interesting because you can only really make out what they are when you go up high in space. I, I mean, high in um, high in the sky. Right. So it, it's almost to suggest that whoever drew those, whoever created those Nazca lines, did it for the benefit of someone who was high up there flying, flying right high up in, in the sky. Yeah, almost yeah. like landmarks for people flying to know where they were. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Because mm-hmm. why, why else would they, would they create them? I mean, it's, and that, you know, the only way you can see those um, make out what they really are is is by going really high up in a plane. And right, that's, that's mm-hmm. the only way you can know what they are from the ground. It just looks like lines going off into the distance. So it does make you wonder, you know, what what has taken place on Earth, and um, and um, you know they're constantly finding new artifacts which uh, suggests that some of these civilizations were far more advanced than than we actually realized. Right, yes. And, you know, even in, uh, I believe it was uh, Eric von Daniken, maybe, uh, who wrote Chariots of the Gods. Yeah. yeah um, I believe in some of his books he spoke about um, there are certain places in India where they found... Uh, ancient cities that are 60 to 80 feet below ground and those places are actually radioactive (coughs) indicating the possibility that there have been previous nuclear wars and um uh that happened before and then you know we end up kind of having to start all over again you know (laughs) as a species and uh it does seem you know even in my out-of-body experiences it does (laughs) That is a that is a running theme that this time that we're in is a time where we will determine, you know, if we are going to move forward or turn back again, you know, and mm-hmm. turning back again would mean, you know, some of the things that people predict a lot about with the destruction or, you know, nuclear war or if the earth changes cause, uh, you know, a cleansing of the earth and we kind of have to rebuild Um, things like that. And so it seems this is a natural cycle of the earth that we've seen before. Well, I think that's very true. I mean, you know, there is a saying history repeats itself and, and, um, you know, we, we can only speculate, um, about what has gone on in the earth, um, on the earth, uh, who knows for many hundreds of thousands of years. And, and obviously a lot of that history has been lost. Right. Um, so, you know, I think history goes back as far as some of these ancient cultures, obviously the Egyptians, the Sumerians, those sorts of people. Um, the speculation is that before the Egyptians, we had the Atlanteans, Atlantis. Oh, yes. Um, And the Lemurians. Yeah. And that's, you know, this is obviously... There's, it's so difficult to prove any of this. All, we, all, all that people can do is, is try and give a bit of evidence for these civilizations. But there is certainly some evidence of it. And obviously people are still searching for uh, 
for the remnants of of these civilizations you know where where exactly was atlantis there's many theories on that isn't there yeah there are a lot of theories um one thing that i find interesting about that though was that doc uh, edgar casey had claimed that uh, humanity would find atlantis in 1968 and um in 1968, the uh, buried city on ancient Minoa was found, which is off the island of Greece. All right. And, and so I believe that's a very high possibility that that particular island could have been. There's a lot of other reasons to support that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but there are also a lot of other locations that people have found which ironically you know goes to support this whole idea uh people have found so many underwater cities mm, that mm. um that it goes to support the idea that land masses have moved throughout wor the world's history yeah. because we have so many of them on the ocean floor yeah, yeah. you know yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's still so much waiting there to be discovered, um, <clears throat> which is, you know, it it could be buried hundreds of feet below the surface, and so eventually these things there will be many more discoveries. Uh, there are discoveries happening all the time, aren't there? Oh yeah, and in archaeology, you know, one of the things in archaeology that's fascinating is sometimes people question. You know, well, did this or that really happen? Did that or this really ever happen? And then inevitably they often find the actual place it did occur. You know, whether it was Sodom and Gomorrah or um, the original Mount Sinai, um, you know, and then there's also uh, these different uh, underground um, locations um, all these different pyramidal cities that are around the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry. On that point, they, you know, there's the, um, the recently there's the Bosnian pyramid. Oh, I was thinking of that too because I, yeah. I am so fascinated by the Bosnian pyramid. Right, which is 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 is, is pretty huge, isn't it? Apparently. I mean, apparently, I think it was bigger than the uh, the. The Great Pyramid in Giza. Right, um, right. And they're still excavating that. Um, you know, obviously they have found quite a few artifacts, but it's still ongoing, I think, that one. Yeah, that one could take hundreds of years, I think, to totally excavate carefully. Mm, yeah. I can believe that, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, there's um, a few things out in Turkey. There's Gobekli Tepe. Which, uh, oh yeah, which is mm -hmm. uh, again is something uh, which was buried. It was found buried, and they're they're gradually excavating that away um, because it was buried quite deeply, wasn't it? Mm hmm. Yes. So uh, you know, it, it's a lot of these things have have just been lost, and then of course there's um, there's quite a few that have been found in um, in say in South America in the jungle. Um, because everything was so overgrown, obviously, the way that the the jungles grow is that they'll just, you know, completely cover everything with uh, with trees and with shrubs and grass, and and it makes it very difficult for things to be discovered. But they have found 
that there's there's quite a few um, ancient cities which they've discovered yeah. recently have have actually been um, covered in all this um, trees and shrubs and everything, and they've had to dig it all out and excavate it, and found there was actually a city underneath it. Yes, and and you know I, I believe I've recently read too that they they feel that they'll find many more um, as they're able to move through that entire jungle because a lot of that stuff you can't even see it from above as long no, as it's covered no. in the That's jungle right. brush. That's right. I mean, I think they have to use certain um, specialist equipment for um, in order to locate it. They, equipment which can either penetrate, um, you know, through all those, uh, the jungle, down to the ground and actually I don't know if it's sonar or some kind of some kind of microwaves or something that they can actually beam at the ground and check if there's anything anything anomalous actually inside under the ground like um, um, you know something man-made actually beneath the surface right so there are ways that they can discover these things um, but yeah, it's another fascinating subject, isn't it? The the fact that uh, we're slowly finding out more about um, the civilizations which have been before us. On the right, Earth. yes, very much so. Yeah. So um, I think w were we going to talk about your latest book, um, which is um, let me see, it's. Destiny and Prophecy. Is that your latest one? It's not the latest one, but oh. it's definitely much more related to what we're talking about today. Okay. That's a book in the Mystic Knowledge series. All right. And would you like to say something about that one? Sure. Destiny and Prophecy contains most of the uh, prophetic experiences that I've had uh, literally over the last 30-some years. But it also... Um, explains a lot about how destiny works in our individual lives and it's a part of the mystic knowledge series which is a series of 14 books that and each of them go, uh, utilizes my out-of-body experiences on a particular subject so you know there's a there's a volume on reincarnation karma there's one on spiritual warfare angels and demons and this one is particularly on destiny and prophecy and it talks a lot about all the things that i did see in relation to the times that we are coming up to, including, you know, that I was shown in early the early 90s that um, the time that would be crucial for what we're going to see with our world will be 2026 to 2030. Okay. And that those those years would determine whatever's going to happen, but it will happen after that. And so what that means is, are we as a species going to move spiritually forward into a more unitive type of peaceful environment or is it going to go backwards? If it's going to go backwards, we could be looking at more wars. We could be looking at more uh, natural disasters. We could be looking at something cataclysmic happening naturally that would change things like uh, earth changes or uh, asteroid, you know, something like that. But what I was shown was that things changed. They had the potential to change dramatically. One thing I'd like to say about that, though, is to remind people that the, this message was given to me as 
this time will determine how it goes 2026 to 2030 and what what does that mean to your average your your average listener it's that it's not set in stone you know and in 1917 our lady of fatima said that we needed to pray to avert some of these wars that were coming and some of these chastisements and so she told everyone to pray the rosary to um pray for world peace and what i'm what i would suggest is that we can all in our own individual lives be praying for a peaceful unitive outcome where we actually take the earth over this period of time into a higher construct a higher shift where we would actually be moving into a higher level of the homo sapien you know um rather than moving ourselves back into this perpetual karmic flow that we have held thousands of years and you know every every certain amount of you know millennia there is an opportunity for humanity to rise you know for for enlightenment of some level to occur and then humanity as a whole can rise together if it's not met then a lot of times there's something very dramatic that occurs that kind of shifts it back down shifts it backwards and we stay within this you know this constant division and, and warring and violence and we need to be looking more towards creating a vision of peace within ourselves so we may create a vision of peace within our world and you know one of the ways you can do that is learning about out-of-body travel because that begins the individual path of purification which will um, literally uh, launch that process within you individually so the more people who are open to you know uh, opening those spiritual passages within themselves the less likely we are going to see really catastrophic changes it's possible we could pray our way past this or that people could behave their way past this by actually seeking interior um, evolution and you can go to my website at outofbodytravel.org, and all of our books are downloadable for free. If you're starting out, I always recommend Come to Wisdom's Door and the Mysteries of the Redemption to get you started. Well, that's great. I mean, I must say, I think that's um, a very, very generous gesture to, to uh, just make everything available for free. And um, we'll actually put a link uh, down below this video so that anybody can just click on that and go through to your website. Cool. Thank you very much. Okay, no problem. Um, so what, um, what would you like to talk about then, Marilyn? Was, what, where does it go from here? Well, I think where it goes from here is that we... Um, individually and as humanity need to become awake and what we do by to become awake it's not being awake in the sense that you hear people talking politically because it's not a political thing at all it has nothing to do with that and i don't know if they say that in in the uk in in the united states there's a 
a thing about being woke and it has to do with politics. It's oh. not that. <laughs> no, we don't have that saying here. <laughs> That's it. It's, um, you know, it's literally becoming awakened to the spiritual journey that our soul is taking while encased in this human flesh. Because that is the case. You know, we are mortal beings. We incarnate into these bodies for an impermanent amount of time. Most of us as humans will live our lives almost in denial of the state of death. We know that nobody gets out of here alive, but we forget that the very fact that we're created that way here indicates that this is one schoolroom, one class, so to speak, and we don't want to waste our time here because we don't have a lot of it. We want to get engaged in the spiritual work that stands before us. And the spiritual work involves the purification of the soul. And it's detailed in my books um, in a great deal. But we have to look at the good and evil within ourselves. We have to look at the good and evil within our world. And we learn through out-of-body travel to transform energetically aspects of ourselves to bring our vibration to higher and higher levels the vibration we talked about in the beginning because the higher that vibration goes the higher we can uh, go in our vibration we the higher knowledge that we are reaching because in the mystical realms knowledge is all about vibration and so we want to increase our vibration and we do that through purification so it's an intrinsic self-examination but it's also an intrinsic examination of all of your own beliefs the beliefs that the world has that you have accepted and that you see around you and it it forces you to enter into this deep spiritual contemplation which literally thrusts you forward. And the more of us that do the process and do the work, the better for the whole planet. That, because that is the actual function of this, our mortal world. Ironically, we call third and fourth dimensional worlds mortal worlds because they are the worlds where the battles between good and evil rage. They rage in the world and they rage within ourselves. Um, so the battles between good and evil happening on mass levels but all the way down to the personal level and so that's why we're here so the very nature and the very fact that you're incarnate in this realm tells you that that's what you need to accomplish in the short time that we are allotted while we are here in this realm and people forget to look at the fact that this life, we, we should not be preparing to be here permanently. We should be utilizing the gifts of this realm for the purification of our understanding, of our vision, of our ability, and of our spirit. Because the only way that we can rise to a higher sphere and a higher space of knowledge, wisdom, and, um, and presence is through raising our vibrations and the only way we can even begin to raise those vibrations is through deep prayer meditation and this intrinsic self-scrutiny that we must go through to start overcoming the things for which we return here again and again right well that was very well said um 
and um, you know I think that's that's obviously great advice for people to to attempt to follow and obviously it's not easy um, we're only human <laughs> right and uh, yes we make mistakes and hopefully we learn from our mistakes of course um, but um, yeah well it's it's a fantastic um, journey that you you've obviously been on and you you know I think I think it's great that you've made all this material available because there's something like a hundred books there isn't there that uh, people can Mm -hmm. can look at and that's that's all on the website isn't it yes there's there's a hundred books and there's several different series there's nine books in the how-to series and each one takes you um, intricately higher with each book and the experience books you'll start with the mysteries of the redemption and they continue to expand through the mystical captive series the solitary series and um, others and you're just going to find yourself realizing how deep this journey can go and you know in re- reaction to your comment about you know how tough it is the one thing I would love to share um, something that uh, Mother Angelica used to say a lot mother angelic was a catholic nun who founded the eternal word television network she would talk about how the only difference between us and the saints is that when they fell down they just got back up and you know and so sometimes we have a tendency to um think that we can't do it because something we did was just too bad or too far it's just not true. It's we have to remind ourselves that yes, we are only human. Secondly, God created us that way, and that means God ordained that we would be imperfect beings. And therefore, when we fall, you know, we take whatever it ta- uh, time it takes to get up, but our goal is to always get up because um when you don't have to st- Stay on the ground in your defeat or in your failure or your mistake. You get up again. You know, you just get back up. And that's so important because that's part of the spiritual discipline. Part of the the purification process is that we do come face to face with things about ourselves that are not pleasant to deal with, look at, see, be aware of. But it's by being willing to acknowledge them that we become capable of altering them. Ironically, that's a little twist on what Dr. Phil says sometimes. You can't acknowledge what you don't change, but it does apply even in the spiritual where, you know, you when we become willing and able to recognize what we are uh, doing, then, you know, all of heaven can back us up with the plan to overcome whatever it might be. And so, you know, the come to wisdom's door and the mysteries of the redemption will really get you started on understanding this purification journey. And then you're going to find it um, throughout the books, but it's um, just different levels and different uh, manifestations um, throughout. Mm -hmm. Well, um, you know that that's that's great that you've you've been able to um to write all these books and actually put into words some of what you've experienced because i know that's obviously not easy as well and you do say that i think in some of some of your writings that that it's it's some of this knowledge 
you can't put into words it's just a knowing isn't it you say that it's it's yes it you you can't always put this into words yeah there are some experiences that are so beyond words that um you you do whatever you can with words but you know that it will still be you know just a a mere shadow of what the what the, what what was really shown to you because you cannot you know it's it, we forget that god doesn't think like men thinks and god's world you know the world that god created beyond this one realm does not all abide by the the laws that this one world does and you see some of the most awe inspiring things and it's very fascinating as well as you progress how knowledge actually is infused into you through vibration and that all of a sudden you know you go through some of the some of the procedures like thinking things through and like gee I don't really like that quality about myself I need to change it but you don't get it until you are actually lifted up to a higher frequency vibration and all of a sudden it's like it's been changed within you through the hand of God and that is what makes it more permanent and more um, tangible and more of a true alteration within your soul and that's that's just a very fascinating thing to see as well that this is really you know knowledge is encapsulated in vibration <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i mean uh, you know obviously i can only um try to relate because i haven't i can't honestly say i've had an experience um anything like what you're describing okay um but um you know the research i've done and the people i've met and listened to we you know i i don't need to be convinced that there's there's so much more out there than than the limitations of modern science or <clears throat> physics or any of the you know the conventional knowledge there's so much that 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 conventional knowledge cannot yet explain which which goes on in the universe um I mean, I, I think even um, just dreams are, are fascinating sometimes. I mean, you know, we, we dream and sometimes you can wake up from a dream and, and just feel that it was such a real experience, can't you? It, it was so real at the time. Absolutely, yes. Sometimes, sometimes, depending on the dream, if it was a spiritual dream... Um, sometimes it can be a partial memory of an out-of-body experience, so not fully conscious, because if you're fully conscious, you're going to remember all those other things we talked about. But a lot of people will experience these things in their sleep. And the reality is, is that we know that um, everybody experiences out-of-body travel, but most people don't remember it or they remember tiny bits and pieces of it in dreams but there are differences between the types of dreams as well because you'll have just the usual dreams where your brain's trying to work out things of the day and then once in a while someone will have a mind-blowing spiritual dream that may not be a full-blown fully conscious out-of-body experience but they know that it was significant and bore important meaning for them for them or their life or whatever 
Yeah, I mean, for example, I, I can tell you um, dreams I've had. I've actually, you know, had conversations with people and just been completely accepting of, of that particular situation and then woken up and realised that the person I've just been speaking to in the dream has been dead for five years or, you know, or ten years or something. And yet there they were, right there and then, having a conversation. It's, you know. Well, that's oftentimes... That's oftentimes you remembering an actual conversation with them that took place um, in the spirit, whether that can be either in the out-of-body travel state or where the person was trying to communicate directly to your mind, and it was done in a way that would be amenable to your mind so that you would remember that you had seen them, mm, you know. Mm. And this is it. This we have I mean obviously I can only speak for myself and obviously you know everybody's different but but um, you sometimes take away fragments of dreams and you remember them for quite a long time afterwards that's true um, and other times you can just forget it in a in a in a second you it's, it's gone it's gone and you can't recall it yeah. And it's it to me it, it's that's a whole mystery in itself the, this this fact that we we dream what are the purpose of dreams and you know how uh, why why would the the consciousness um need to dream that's another big question why why do we even need to dream you see so all this is is um quite a mystery i think the whole Well there's you know there's some answers i could give you from the out-of-body travel perspective, and also what sleep scientists are starting to touch on, which is, you know, that there is a, first of all, just from the basic physical science, you know, there is a part of our brains that is really important for our spirits and bodies to be in union, union with. But from the out-of-body travel, in, in order for us to function on a day-to-day -day basis. And then um, in... Um, in regards to what are the purpose of these dreams and why do we remember some and forget others? Um, because there's a process that's going on unconsciously because all of us are always receiving unconscious help from spiritual guardians, angels, and um, sometimes even deceased family members or loved ones who are working with us. And so when you uh, have something and then it is whipped from your mind it is often an indication that you remembering it at that time would not be helpful consciously but the unconscious work is being done and whenever the time comes whatever they are working on will surface and so then eventually we remember certain things because it's time for them to surface and become conscious things that realizations that come through to us um, but these are also energies because during the dream processes, people can also be being worked on energetically as well. Right. Um, so it's 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 multiple aspects to it is what you're saying. It's not just obviously not just one thing happening. Um, yes. And and can I on that point? Can I ask you? Should we try to make more of an attempt? to remember our dreams would you is that a good idea or, or is that not not necessary 
I I always recommend that people keep a dream journal because what what I have found not just with myself but with all the people that I direct and give uh, spiritual counseling to is that we have um, you know a narrative co- starts coming through when you keep a journal that you wouldn't see if you don't have it written down. There's a benefit sometimes to go back and then reread because then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I didn't put that together. This one was portending this one. And this one was, you know, you know, and you can see how that was brought together and all of a sudden you have a different realization. And so I always think it's a good idea. What you do learn over time though is how to journal the dreams that seem to be more important, that are of more spiritual nature, um, than rather like the miscombobulated things that are more associated with the brain processing out your day. However, you know, there will be a lot of things that people will experience in their dreams, which is their own mind and their spirit trying to work out, uh, situations and conflicts in their conscious waking life and sometimes there can be a great deal of wisdom in what people receive in that regard as well as to how to handle certain things in their life but i definitely always say keep a journal if this is something of interest to you and then remember every once in a while go back and rewrite it and and see what you um see what you put together that you would never have thought of had you not written it down and then read it together and seen the things that are bringing it all into one. Mm, mm. Well, that's a profound way of looking at it. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, what tends to happen, of course, is that uh, we get up and we have breakfast and most of the time it's it's all forgotten about. It's, you know, as you say, it could be subliminal, um, couldn't it? But... Um, Yes. Oh, you know, to, mm-hmm. to actually recall it, um, it's, it's just... Well, one way to combat yeah. that is to have paper and a pen near where you sleep, and then um, one of the things you can do is just take notes when you're having them, because uh, through the night, people might have more, more than, uh, you know, more than one. Uh, take those notes. Uh, before you go have breakfast, take some notes so that it will it will help you to remind yourself what that experience was about because it then brings the recall back and then you can bring the details back later. Um, also, another thing you can do that helps is when you're really struggling to remember something and it feels important to remember is try to do that with your eyes remaining closed because as soon as your eyes you open up your eyes your mind is going from unconscious to conscious okay. and a lot of times that's when the memories are wiped out and yeah. it can happen very yeah. fast i i take your point uh, yeah because visually i mean as soon as you open your eyes you're visually processing a lot of information aren't you? right so um you know that makes sense definitely um so for the people who who would like to really explore this um, this whole subject that you've been talking about, which is out of body experiences, are are there a few sort of you know tips and recommendations if if people did want to explore this? I mean, obviously they can read some of your material, but um, 
Is is there any other uh, uh, other practical suggestions that you you have for people who who are you know kind of inc- um, would like to know more about this the the whole subject? Well, sure. There are some simple suggestions. Would be uh, engage in a lot of prayer, meditation, silent time and spiritual reading every day as much as you can. And when I talk about engaging in meditation, I'm usually talking about three hours or more in one sitting. And there's a reason for that because the, the states of consciousness required to go into the vibrational state take a while, especially with a beginner, to achieve. And so you want to be doing these quiet meditations I usually recommend mindfulness medications where you just focus on the breath and you don't worry about anything else. And you're trying to literally allow your consciousness to um, alter. Um, But obviously, too, there's a lot of other things that are a little more complex, which is, you know, go to the website, download Come to Wisdom's Door, the Mysteries of the Redemption as well. And we have a course of study at the website. Um, and it is free to take as well, and it's very in-depth, so it takes you through quite a few things, and it will teach you quite a bit, and it also has a handout with um, extra works of mystical theology that you can read, as well as um, a suggested order of reading for my own books so that people can follow it in sequence. But, you know, if you go to the website and you start with those two books and you need more guidance from there, just pop me an email. My email is readily available and I'll tell you what to do next. If you're not a beginner and if you're somewhere and you're like, well, what, where do I start? Just go to the website at outofbodytravel.org and send me an email and tell me a little bit about where you're at and I will um, tell you where I think you would best start considering what you've already done. And so we can get you up and running you know pretty quickly but it is a you know it's a process that requires a lot of discipline and patience and so i would recommend those as as well you know (laughs) yeah yeah well that's that's great i mean um i must say you know i'll just say that it's it's a very uh generous um generous thing that you've you've done is is to put all this information and make all those books free um anybody listening can just click on the link and um find some of those books and download them and um and uh find out um you know a whole lot more about this subject so i think we've we've just about covered it haven't we um i'd like to say <laughs> thank you very much uh marilyn for for um coming on the show today and thank you anthony no, that's great. And thank you to all the listeners. I hope you found something um, in there which is, um, you know, of use to you or of interest in some way. And we'll talk to you again. Thank you.